Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Job chapters 9, 13, and 19. So just sort of put your your finger in, in each of those places or put a bookmark there and we'll, we'll get to each of them um, in due time. When this series is over, I'm going to invite all of you to watch a video that's about 45 minutes long. It'll be on a Sunday evening in a few weeks. It's Pastor John Piper retelling the story of Job in English poetry with these pencil illustrations to go with it. It's really well done. It's well made. It's well narrated. In it, he uses this phrase, Unkindly he has kindly shown me. Those are Job's words in Piper's retelling about the actions of God toward him and the lessons he has learned during his suffering. The reason Job went through his suffering was to prove the point that God is worth serving even without all the blessings. Or maybe it's better said this way, we should stay faithful to God even when we think the covenant of faith that we have in him isn't working out like we expected it to. Blessings are ours in Christ, but whenever we don't feel like the covenant is working out for us like we assumed it would, God is still uh, worth serving and our suffering will be meaningful. But there's more to it than just proving the accuser wrong. Job learned a few lessons in his suffering, lessons he may not have learned otherwise. God uses our suffering in more ways than one to accomplish more righteousness than we expected. Your suffering is probably working more good for you than you realize, and it may even be working good for those around you that you may or may not be able to see at this point. This church has seen several people go through suffering and difficulty, which proves something for the sufferer and also something for the people of the church. The founder of this church was stricken with cancer in 2011, and he passed away in 2013. His faith, the the faith of his wife and children, and the faith of this church were tested during that time, and all grew, and all are stronger now, even after his passing. The unstable times during and after that event took this church through a time of soul-searching and growth that was very healthy. The identity of this church was more solidified during that time, and many people took on leadership for the first time in their lives in this church. I don't think God caused his cancer, and I don't think God just casually let his family and this church go through that time, but I think God was working in all of it for the strength of this church. And it didn't end with the healing that we wanted, the miracle that everybody expected and prayed for, but it did end with greater faith, greater maturity, and a greater sense of calling and purpose than ever before. God took what was really a tragedy, a life ending too early, and he breathed a new spiritual life into the lives of many. Many people grabbed hold of God with a tighter grip, and many stepped forward to serve and minister in ways that they would not have had the chance to or thought of doing otherwise. How many of you, uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you actually did something during that time that you had never done before? Yeah, several of you. This church learned lessons and achieved a new level of maturity in Christ by tragedy and suffering. So what did Job learn throughout all of this? I don't know if he could sit down and write a five-paragraph essay about it, but there are several phrases he utters which tell me that he was learning something. I'm going to share them with you today. They are some of the more well-known verses in the book of Job, so you may recognize them. First, in Job chapter 13, verse 15, and this is a verse I've been quoting and talking about a lot, but upon further examination of it this last week during study, 
I've uh, read some context and found out that I, th- I think I was taking it wrong. And that's a lesson to me and I hope to you about how important it is to always be reading your Bible. Read it over and over again because you must clarify everything you think you know. Just a couple of weeks ago, someone in the congregation was quoting a scripture about prayer that he knew to be true and in the Bible, uh, but for the life of him, he couldn't find it. And he discovered now that this truth he knew isn't actually in the Bible. There are probably several verses you think you know that are that just actually aren't in there. You just heard it somewhere. Some Bible teacher was speculating on something or, or something like that, and you took it for a biblical truth. So continuous study of your Bible is needed for us to have a healthy and balanced theology. And the verse I'm talking about is this one. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. And I was quoting it wrong because it's trust, not serve. Uh, plus, I was telling you that Job has a very obstinate faith, and it's something that we need to have. But upon further examination, here's the verse and another version that I think makes it much clearer. Look, he may well kill me, but I will hope in him. Still, I will be ready to argue my case before his very face. Well, that's not the same thing. I still think it's good for you to have an obstinate faith, but what Job is really saying here is this. I'm going to risk it all to pursue God and find the truth about him and about me. I may be disrespectful to him and it may be dangerous for me, but I still am going to argue my innocence and ask him what is really going on here. In the Old Testament, uh, you see many times people cowering in fear after they have either seen God or an angel because they believe that just seeing a holy God would mean their own deaths. And Job is saying, I want to see him. Even if I die, I want to see him and ask him what is going on in my life. So Job is not being obstinate here. He's being audacious and brazen. And I'll also argue to you that God is looking at Job with this not obstinate but audacious and brazen faith and saying, Hey, you got a lot of chutzpah to talk to me that way, kid. I like it. And for you and me, I think this means that instead of walking away from God when our relationship with him gets messy and difficult, we need to approach him with courage and even audacity to confront him and give full vent to our feelings and then stick with him. Whether you get the answer you wanted or not, stick with God. You'll be sorry if you don't. And I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, to apply that to all your relationships. Your relationships will stretch and strain you, whether it's your friends, your co-workers, your parents, your spouse, your siblings, even your fellow church members. It's worth it to let those relationships get messy in order to maintain them. Lots of relationships exist out there where one side is hurt and troubled but too afraid to confront or scream and yell, and so the end of the relationship just stays in the end the relationship just stays strained. And then it gets distance. And eventually, what was once a good relationship just fizzles out, and the one side stays hurt. And to me, real love requires real courage. Job is truly hurt here, but he values this relationship with God too much to just walk away. He wants to know what is going on in the heart and mind of God, so he's willing to die rather than just let the relationship fizzle. And I hope you'll take your spiritual life that seriously. I hope you'll take your marriage and parenthood that seriously. I hope you'll take family and friendship that seriously. Have the knockdown, drag out fight and risk losing the relationship. There's a better likelihood that you'll keep something worth keeping if you do. That's the better result. I think before this happened, Job would have never thought that he'd say these kinds of things that he has said to or about God. But when this happened, he found out just how he really felt and gained a courage that can only come when one has nothing left to lose. Spiritual courage. But he gained 
tenacity and audacity in his relationship with God, and that's good. Secondly, he's gained faith in his personal relationship with God and hope for a positive outcome. Look at this passage in Job chapter 19. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. To Job, God is not just a judge holding court in the heavens anymore. He's now also a redeemer, and he's a personal redeemer. He's not just the redeemer of Israel. He's my redeemer. What's more, since I can't go to him, I believe he'll come to me. What's more, after my flesh is gone, yet in my flesh somehow I will see God. And it'll be, it'll be a good thing. It won't just be clear to others, it'll be clear to me. I'll receive the answer, or at least the confidence in God that I seek. And, and look, at that last, <clears throat> look at that last phrase. How my heart yearns within me. Job was serious about his face, faith more than before. He was faithful in all of his duties before. He was a genuine worshiper before. Yet in the midst of this trial, he's a more passionate worshiper than he's ever been. And I see that same thing on your faces. To those of you in this congregation who are going through difficult times, you worship more passionately than anyone else here. You pray more sincerely. You sing louder. You are honed in on the reading of the word and the preaching of the gospel more than anyone else here. Your suffering doesn't allow you to relax. Your suffering doesn't allow you to doze off. Your suffering makes you need the words of life more than anyone else here. Your suffering has exhausted you physically and emotionally, even spiritually, and yet you have a stronger testimony and a greater hope than most others in here as well. No offense to any of the rest of you here in this room. I think your worship is, worship is genuine too, but there will probably be a time at some point when worship means more to you than it does right now, and it'll be when you're going through something difficult. A follower of Jesus going through difficult times either walks away from Jesus or becomes a closer follower of Jesus. Don't walk away. Experience the worship of the sufferer. It's bittersweet, but it's the most honest, honest worship you'll ever do in your life. Don't miss out on that. In our last passage, Job chapter 9, it came before these others, but I wanted to save it to the last because to me it's the climax of everything Job was learning. Who is Jesus? Well, he's our mediator. Paul wrote to Timothy in the New Testament, There is one God and one mediator between God and people, the man Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, Jesus wasn't installed as mediator yet. There were mediators for the people of Israel. There were priests. There were prophets. But in a real way, the people of Israel felt their lack of connection with God. The priest presented sacrifices for you, taught the Torah to you, answered questions for you as best they could, and made judgments with the authority of God. But I'm sure they didn't often act as an advocate for you. It was all top-down. There was no bottom-up. If you needed to hear from God, there were prophets, but it wasn't very personal. And there were false prophets out there, too, that you had to be wary of. For Job, he's not even an Israelite. He has no priest. He offers his own sacrifices. He acts as a mediator for his children and household and maybe others, too. Now he needs an advocate and a mediator, and he doesn't have one. His friends aren't acting in that way for certain. They are only condemning. 
You should read all of Job chapter 9. In it, he shows his frustration that nobody argues to God on his behalf. He can't summon God, and even if he could, he knows he can't really argue with God. So he wants a mediator. The Hebrew word used here can be translated as umpire, and that should show some of the struggle Job feels caught in. He needs someone to call the shots for him. He needs a mediator. Just listen to this, Job chapter 9, verse 33. If only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more, then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. You and I need a mediator. We're not able to bring us uh, to us and God together. Our sin has created a gulf between us. We can't remove God's punishment from us. We can't remove the terror of God from us. We can't approach the throne of God boldly. We'll die. But if we had a mediator who did those things for us, it would be different. And Jesus came to be just that mediator. He came to earth because we can't get to heaven. He took the rod of God's punishment on the cross for us, and now God's anger over sin is taken away. Jesus' death tore the veil in the temple, meaning we can approach God confidently now. Then look at verse 35. We can speak to him without fear, and as it stands with us, we can. Job could not, but we can. Jesus took away the division between us and God. Jesus took our punishment. Jesus bridged the chasm between us and God. Jesus made God approachable for us. That's why at the end of our prayers we say, In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, it's not an incantation that's part of the formula for getting prayers answered. We say it so that we never forget that our only access to God was made possible by the Lord Jesus Christ. On my own, I cannot make demands of God. Why should he listen to me, a sinner? But Jesus has made a way where there was no way. Jesus is my confidence. He is my prayer uh, he is my prayer for, uh, to God. Jesus is my confidence before God in prayer. Excuse me. In Jesus' name, I'm able to pray and know that God hears me. In Jesus' name, I don't need to fear God's punishment. In Jesus' name, I come boldly asking for answers, asking for provision, asking for forgiveness, and asking for knowledge and wisdom that I had no right to ask for. And in Him, in Christ, I know I have a qualified advocate. So here are the three things that Job is learning. I need to be bold in my relationship with God, searching for answers. My suffering will make me a more passionate worshiper, and my faith will be more real to me and make me cling to my hope even tighter. And also the only way I can have boldness or hope is through my mediator, Jesus Christ. I don't know what you're learning through your suffering, but God wants to teach you something. It's not for nothing. The Christian doesn't suffer for nothing, and more is accomplished out of the suffering of the Christian than any other kind of suffering or any other person's suffering. Let me pray for you now, and we'll end our service. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the sufferers in here. I thank you that they are learning more than they ever thought they could. And I thank you that their suffering from you is not meaningless. It's meaningful. Lord, make it more meaningful for them. Help them to learn something great. Help them to learn something that they can testify to us about. Lord, let their suffering be a boost to everyone's faith in here. 
Jesus, we thank you for being our mediator, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.